Thanks for listening to a YPC podcast. We believe God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we'd love to hear about it. Take a second to send your story to office at ypcprior.com and enjoy the message today. Today we are wrapping up our season of love by talking about a subject that that I believe most couples know all too well, and it's conflict and resolve. Now, the series is called Spice It Up, and when you think about spice, you think about food, and we all love a little bit of spice on our food, but a little too much of one spice can be too much spice, if you know what I mean. I remember um, 17 years old, I'm dating this cute curly-headed girl that moved in around the corner from me, who is now my wife, uh, and I'm working as a, paint, as a painter for the painter who lived across the street from me, and um, I want to take this girl out on a fancy date, right? Our dates have been basically um, Pizza Hut, Ken's Pizza. Does anybody remember Ken's Pizza? Yeah, yeah. We had a Ken's Pizza. And so we actually had a, a, two, a two-person bike. We still have it. And we would ride our two-person bike. Yeah, on purpose. Uh, ride our two-person bike to Ken's Pizza. And that was like as extravagant as I, as I would get. But I got paid. The painter paid me cash. I don't know how legal that was. But I got paid cash. And I had a little bit. I was rolling, I was rolling fat. You know what I mean? In my wallet. And I wanted to take her out for a special deal. And so I asked my youth pastor, um, where would you take, you know, your girl out for a special dinner? And he told me, oh, you got to go to the Atlantic Sea Grill. I didn't even know what that was or where it was. It was at 61st and Memorial at that time. And uh, he's like, oh, man, that's, that's a great place to go. Go to the Atlantic Sea Grill. So I, I got her. I said, hey, I'm going to take you out. We're going out someplace special. And uh, I asked my youth pastor, what do they say? Well, steak, seafood, it's going to be great. And so we show up at the Atlantic Sea Grill. I dress up as, as, as much as a 17-year-old would dress up and uh, wash the car, took her out to wine her and dine her without the wine. Um, and we, we, we show up and I open the menu, look at the prices, get my wallet out real quick. Yeah, I, I should be good. All right. <laughs> I should be good. And I'm like, hey, order anything you want, you know? And then I'm like, what, what am I going to get? And I knew I wanted some kind of a steak, and I saw on the menu, peppered steak. And I'm like, I like pepper. I like steak. This will be great. So I, I'll take the peppered steak, please. And she was like, it's pretty spicy. And I'm like, well, I like spice in my life, right? And so I ordered the pepper steak. I don't even remember what Tyra ordered, because I remembered when my steak came out, it, was, it had a quarter-inch crust of of crushed peppercorns, okay? Like just not, not pepper, like peppercorns, or you know what I mean? Like just crushed, is it peppercorns, peppercorns? Anyway, the little round things that pepper is before it's ground up, it had a crust of that. Like I had to take my knife and I had to saw through the crust just to get to the meat. And I, and I ate it and I'm like, way too much pepper, way too much pepper. And I think it's funny because our relationships are similar to that. The one thing that attracted us to each other when we're dating can be the one thing that annoys us when we get married, right? When we were dating, you know, you said, he's so mysterious, right? Now that you're married, you're like, we never talk. I never know what he's thinking, okay? When you were dating, it's like, he lives on the edge. Now that you're married... It's like, he never comes home, right? 
when you were dating, uh, he was like, man, she's so into me. She wants to do everything I want to do. Now that you're married, it's like, she never leaves me alone, right? <laughs> when you were dating, oh, we talked on the phone for hours. It was so great. Now that you're married, it's like, she never shuts up, right? It's the one thing that attracted us to them when we were dating, if we're not careful, becomes the one thing that annoys us when we're married. So let's invite the Holy Spirit to lead us today. Release your faith here. We believe that though I have some notes on a screen, the Holy Spirit is going to make this message applicable to every single person in the room, wherever you are, married, single, you know, looking or not looking. Um, we believe that this message is going to apply to everyone. So, Father, we love you. We're so thankful for an incredible series, Father. And, Lord, we know that today you have a message that's a right now message for the people of your place, church. So, Father, we lean into your word, and we allow you to speak to our hearts today, God. Lord, make this message personal. And Lord, the things that I don't say, I believe that you still say them to every single person in the room who's watching online or who is listening by uh, podcast. God, we love you. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you were here last night, we started to share a little bit of the story of how Created to Help start. It actually started um, at the Amish Cheese House in Shoto. And Tyra and I, were, we were there for lunch. We used to go on Wednesdays. And uh, we would, we'd always eat upstairs. If you've been to the Amish Cheese House, there's an upstairs uh, dining room area. And this particular day we showed up, there were several guys from the, uh, the industrial park who were there doing construction. You can tell they were from out of town. They all wore the same shirt, and I think they, they had Michigan on the shirt. And as they were talking, Tyra and I, you know, when there's that many people, you can't help but kind of eavesdrop a little bit. And uh, their, con- their conversation kind of got quiet And then one guy who appeared to be the leader of the group, maybe he was the boss or something like like that, leans back in his chair and he says, any of you guys happily married? (laughs) Kind of an awkward question with a bunch of dudes, you know what I mean? (laughs) Any of you guys happily married? And one guy kind of, you know, I'm I'm happily married. And he's like, you don't count, you just got married. Just wait. Any Any of you others, you guys happily married? And again, one by one, they went around the room and he made them. Like, he went around the room, well, what about you, man? You married? You happily married? No, man, I ain't married. I ain't happily married. And, and he made this blanket statement that I thought Tyra was going to flip a table. You know what I mean? He said this. He says, I'm convinced there's not one happily married couple in America. And Tyra, I'm like, settle down, girl, settle down, girls. Because I knew, I knew she was like, you know, that little vein that kind of pops out in the forehead a little bit. She wanted to set the record straight. I'm happily married. But I, I, I calmed her down. But here's the reason why he said that. Undoubtedly, there's tension in his home. Which leads me to my first thought today. The success of any relationship doesn't depend on if you fight but how you fight. Some of you guys need to write this down, all right? I know what you're thinking. Oh, you're the little preacher guy. You know, you're supposed to say these things. You probably have a little preacher's wife, all submissive and just listens to everything you say, very humble. No, all right? That is not who I am married to. We've been married almost 27 years now, and statistically speaking, most divorces 
happened between the year of 6 and 8, and then the second most uh, likely time for couples to get divorced is after the age of 50. For whatever reason, the empty nest is, is not the finish line anymore. That's, that's become, in fact, the last two decades has shown a double uh, increase of the divorce rate between empty nesters. And so we just decided that's not going to be us. My marriage is a happy marriage, but it's not because we never disagree. We're just good fighters. We're good negotiators. We explored other couples' fighting styles, and we just took notes. And I know there's some couples in the room, and you're like, well, we're, we're just so much in love with each other. We never fight. Write this down, and you'll thank me in about two or three years, all right? Because the moment is coming when there is a disagreement. Now, Tyra and I, we've had it out before. But, disclaimer, I've never thrown anything at her. I've never thrown anything across the room. She's never clawed my eyeballs out, right? We're pretty, we're pretty mild when it comes to conflict, But I can remember our first argument, our first real deal argument. I was working construction at the time, and if you're familiar with construction, you get up before the sun does, and you get to the job because, you know, you're chasing that, you're chasing the heat. You're trying to get as much done before the heat takes you out, but then you'll work through the the hottest part of the day, and you'll come home sometimes when the sun goes down because, you know, you get a rain day and you're behind on the project, you got to get ahead. And at this particular time, I would fall asleep, guys. I kid you not, about 8.30, 9 o'clock every night. It's just, I was just exhausted. And Tyra, who had been with our three small children at the time, was like, hey, let's talk. Let's hang out. Let's spend time together. And I can remember being like, baby, I'm just exhausted. I, I, I don't know if I can stay up and talk to you. Well, this, this happened night after night after night to the point that my indicator that this was a bigger deal than I thought it was because, you know, as fellas, she should just understand. She should just understand. I'm getting up at 5 in the morning. Like, I got to go work in the sun all day long. I'm bringing home the bacon so you can fry it up in the pan, right? Like, that's, that's the way we think. Like, I'm doing this for you. Cut me some slack. Let me go to bed. But after, after a season of this, I, know, I knew it started to affect her when one night I fell asleep and I, something startled me. I woke back up and my, my, my beautiful bride, the mother of my three children, was curled up in the bed crying. And of course, I'm like, what, what, what happened? I woke up. I'm like, what happened? Nothing. No, something happened. And she said this. She says, I feel like we're growing apart from each other. I'm like, baby, we're not growing apart from each other. She's like, you never talk to me. And I realize you're tired. And at that moment, I realized that what I was doing was I was forcing all of the substance out of her love tank. And I was never replacing it. And that that was a day for me that I'll never ever forget. And couples, couples fight over the silliest stuff, how you butter the toast, how you park your car, 
Where you leave your clothes when you take them off, right? This is the stuff we fight over. But what we have found out is that you're never really fighting about what you're fighting about. You're always fighting over something that's deeper. It's not that he never picks his underwear up off the floor. It's that he doesn't respect you enough that even though you both have a job, you're the only one that cares how the house looks. Amen. That's what it is. It's really something deeper. And many of us in the room, we've lost our marriages because no one ever sat down with you and showed you, according to the Word of God, how to navigate through conflict. The marriages that have lasted 40, 50, and 60 years aren't strong because there was an absence of conflict. They're strong because the couple loved each other enough and loved God enough to process through conflict. And so I want to look back at the book of the Song of Solomon again. And I know we touched on it last week, but this is one of the, this is, this is probably the best book that, that looks at a couple in conflict that I think the Bible has to offer. And one thing I've learned in studying this book is that nobody really knows what it means, right? There's such an allegory. There's so much symbolism, and sometimes we don't know if they're being figurative or being real. We do know that it's a love relationship. We don't necessarily think that the entire book, you know, is an example or a symbolic of of Christ and the church, which is what some people say. It is, and it isn't. And we pick up in in chapter 5, right after this couple has been married, they've had their honeymoon, and now we're kind of watching their first tiff unfold. And again, I mentioned this text last week, but it, it bears repeating. Uh, chapter 5, verse 2, I slept, but my heart was awake. You know, when he's not home, you may, you may try to sleep, but you don't get any rest. You're, you're, you're aware. You're waiting for him to walk in. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. He's, he's laying it on pretty thick right here, right? Uh, my head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. Look what she said. I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? Now, this woman is either sleeping or is falling asleep when when he says, open to me, my darling, because, you know, he's coming home late from work. And at this time, men and women slept in separate bedchambers, and she has locked the door. So he's knocking on the door. Now, most scholars would suggest that he's, he's not just coming for conversation. He's looking for a little something-something. You know what I mean? He's like, hey, baby, you awake in there? Hey, baby. Hey, baby. You know what I mean? He's, he's, he's knocking on the doors uh, of her bedroom. But look how she responds. I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? This happens all the time at the Rain's house. Like, Tyra's coming on to me all the time. I'm like, baby, settle down, all right? Settle down. But here's the la- Notice the language that the, the lady in the story uses, because um, it's important. I have taken off my robe. Must I put it back on? Which brings me to my second thought for today. Conflict and frustration is the result of unmet expectations and or unfulfilled needs. 
That's what it is. It's unmet expectations or unmet or unfulfilled needs that we have. The passage doesn't have to be about sex. It can be symbolic of one spouse locking the other out by refusing to meet their deepest need. For, for a man, we talked about this on week two, for a man, their deepest need is sex, but even deeper than that is honor and respect. For a woman, we said that their deepest need is to be loved, to feel like she's loved, and along with that comes this need for security. And we know in the room today, we have couples that have locked each other out, symbolically, metaphorically, emotionally, and spiritually. Are you, are you with me? They've locked each other out. And you know who you are because you're in the room right now and you're thinking about your relationship and you're thinking about how you're just, you've just become roommates. You're just cohabiting. You're not in a love relationship. You're not in a, in a, in a forever after type uh, relationship. And conflict and frustration is a result of your personal unmet expectations or unfulfilled needs. So here's my question for all of our services this weekend. Is it possible that you have shut your spouse out? That you've shut them out and you've locked the door. Watch this man's response. Verse 4. My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I, I arose to open for my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. Now, you don't have to be a scholar to understand what's happening here. He can't gain access. The door is latched from the inside. So what does he do? He leaves myrrh on the latch, which myrrh, most scholars agree, myrrh was a metaphor for love. So instead of kicking the door down, he leaves a symbol of his love on the door latch. And when she finally opens the door for him, he's gone, but he's left this indication that he still loves her. Which brings me to my third point today. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this passage is, is not just a passage for marriage, uh, married couples. This is a message for anyone who has ever had conflict in, in any relationship. When Solomon realizes that his wife has locked him out, he doesn't get mad, he doesn't get defensive, doesn't kick the door in, doesn't walk around pouting, right? What does he do? He overcomes, he overcomes evil with good. And he leaves myrrh on the doorknob. Now, here's what I know. Tyra figured this out in our relationship. And I'm going to be honest. Like, we stand up here and we talk about how great our marriage is. Like, it was was mainly her figuring me out. Uh, She she got me to open up. She she got me in a safe place. So so women are are physically modest. Like, they don't want to, you know, they don't. They don't want to reveal, they don't want to, they don't want to be unmodest in public, right? They want to be private. They want to feel safe. Men are emotionally modest. Well, what does that mean? A guy will walk through a restaurant and see a, a group of women talking about life and be embarrassed. Like, dear Lord, did you hear what they're talking about? Why? 
because men are emotionally modest. We have to be in a safe place. We have to feel like you're going to be safe with our emotions, with our deepest thoughts. Tyra figured out how to unlock the vault of my heart. And she figured out what was going on. How come you're angry? How come you're mad? What's going on? I don't know why I feel this way. Well, there's got to be something. And she would ask me this list of clarifying questions. No, no, maybe. And she took the maybe and was like, well, what about that? And next thing you know, I'm having this, you know, emotional counseling moment with my wife where it all gets laid out there. And she is the best at defusing me. And we decided early on that, you know what? She's not going to take that information and use it against me. Now, listen to me, friends. We don't, we don't ag on the, uh, the, the fight. We realize that the way most couples fight is they will use their words and punch with them. They'll punch with them for the express purpose of hurting. Oh, yeah? Well, and so we, we quickly found that out. A, this isn't doing anything for our marriage. And so we, we just created a, a language. That was a punch. That was a punch. And we, because we value our marriage, we can either win the fight or we can win the marriage. We decided early on that, that we have a code, right? If I say the phrase, that was a punch, then she has to apologize for it and vice versa. And so we would, we would be having a discussion, we, and one of us would say something very real and very raw, and the other one would, would respond with a punch. Oh, yeah, well, you are, no. No, 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 no. You meant that to hurt. And so we just agreed in that moment. We would just say, we're sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. I didn't, I didn't mean that to hurt. Using your words to punch is escalation. You guys know what escalation is in a conversation, don't you? Escalation is even a minor negative comment that can increase the, the level of arousal, and soon that small disagreement escalates into a major fight. This is why most people argue, because it's just a, it's just a punching match. We're not listening to understand. We're listening with the intent of the next thing we can say to just really get one in. And so we just decided not to do that anymore. Here's how we used to fight. I would say something and she would get quiet and I'd get mad. Now we've learned to process through that. We really don't have heated arguments anymore. But there are some people in the room, you just shut up and quit talking and that's also not good. Like you need to process through this. Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, was asked the question, you know, how, how do you confront Billy, like the, the late, great Billy Graham, her response is priceless. She says, we always dealt with conflict. We make sure it's worth arguing about. We watch our tone and we're respectful. We don't interrupt each other when they're making their point, which I believe is gold. So many couples, you know, they're having a conversation and the other one cuts them off and says, that's not what happened. That's not the way it went. No, 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 no. Just let them finish their point. It's okay. If you need to take notes and come back to it, take notes. Now, don't take it arrogantly. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're coming back to this one. Mm-hmm. 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 
No. Like, just let them finish. And so we would get to the point, and I would, I would want to, because this is what I did, I would, t- I would steal the conversation. She'd be like, that's all she, hey, just let me finish. Because get, per, uh, perception is greater than reality. So this is how she felt, whether it's how I meant it or not. And I needed to know that information. And so Ruth Graham, again, uh, we don't interrupt each other when they're making their point. We don't bring things up from the past that you've already dealt with. That's huge. She says, we stick with the subject at hand. We don't bring any other subjects until we deal this one first. We face the facts. We apologize and admit when we're wrong. We don't argue when we're boiling mad at each other. She says, we always watch our timing. And then she says, then I just sit God on him. (laughs) <laughs> get him, God, get him, right? Which actually leads me to my next point. Leave room for God to change the heart. Chapter 5 is a representation of the right and wrong way to handle conflict. And, of course, Solomon's actions represent the right way because he wrote the book, right? Of course, he's going to be right. She's going to be wrong, right? And so we see this. And I want to encourage you that if your spouse has locked you out of the relationship to leave myrrh on the doorknob and then leave room for God to change her heart. Because own, or his heart, sorry. (laughs) Every heart. All right. Only God can open certain doors. We can't kick them down. I know for Tyra, she, and she says this a lot in her virtue uh, life groups, she talked about when we were in kind of a point of contention, how she would pray for me. The Lord just kind of dealt with her. Why don't you pray for him? And it wasn't that, you know, I pray your brakes go out going down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls off a of windows. It wasn't that prayer, right? It was, it, and it probably started out, God, I'm going to pray for him. Bless him, Right? That's probably the way it started out. But the longer she would pray for me, the more her heart would soften towards me. And then all of a sudden, she was praying what she actually wanted to happen. God, I pray that his heart is soft and open to you. I pray that that our love continues to grow. And the byproduct of that, she changed. Because she... She's praying for me, and in that moment, her heart begins to change. And then, indirectly, I would always come around. I would always come around, which it's interesting because verse 6, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. Look at verse 7. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak. Those watchmen of the walls. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you. If if you find my beloved, will you tell him? Tell him I'm faint with love. Now, it's kind of confusing, so let me break it down for you. This man doesn't take revenge. He doesn't kick the door down. Instead, he... He leaves it to God to bring about change and justice in the, in the heart of his wife. The watchmen represent here, and all through the Bible this is consistent, the justice of God and the conviction of our hearts. So this woman felt horrible 
how she treated her husband. And all of a sudden, she feels like, man, my heart is bruised and broken. It's just the conviction on the inside of her. She's broken. And so many people want to quit during this time. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Leave room for the presence of God to move in your spouse's life. Hebrews says it this way, chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What if today you made the decision in your heart that you will take responsibility for your actions, for your responses, and leave the rest up to God. Leave the rest up to God. Well, pastor, you don't know how bad it is. You're right. I don't. And I'm sure if we had time and you told me the story, it would move me to tears. But you're also underestimating the love and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring results. Amen, everyone. So we're about to watch this woman turn it on. She's got this search party going out for this man, verse 10. Like she, she plans this whole party. Like if you see him, if you see him, tell him, tell him, tell him. And again, we don't know if this is a metaphor for their, for their argument or if this woman's physically walking through the streets. But the principle is the same. And it's this, verse 9. How is your beloved better than ours, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than ours so that you... Uh, so that you charge us. And then line by line, this woman gives a description of her man, how Solomon stayed faithful even when she was cold and indifferent with him. Verse 10, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000s. His head is purest gold. If you, if you were here last night and saw us do the little game, the poem reading, that was, that was funny, all right? That was funny. They had to, we had couples up here, and they had, to, they had to look each other in the eye and read this portion of Scripture to each other without laughing, and uh, it, was, it was comical. Anyway, she's, she's beginning to explain, and she's, she's recognizing all of his great features, right? His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. And again, all of this is symbolic for character traits of him. His eyes sparkle for her. Jewels. Uh, many commentators believe that this is a picture of his eyes being fixed. Even as, he, as she shut him out, they're fixed on her. His eyes are fixed on her, and she recognizes that. She recognizes who she's married to. Verse 13, his cheeks are like beads of spice yielding perf perfume. His lips are like lilies, look here, dripping with myrrh. What's myrrh? It's a metaphor for love. She realizes, man, like he's so good. I didn't deserve to treat him like that he speaks or she speaks well of him speaking well of her and some of us we need to be careful the words we say 
Let your lips drip with myrrh. Say what you can that's good. I mean, at least he still has his teeth, right? Say, find something to say that's positive about your spouse. Verse 15, his legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. This is a picture of strength. She's saying, you know what, he's strong. He's stronger than I am. Which brings me to my last point. Make it right before the sun goes down. The book of Ephesians tells us this in chapter 4, verse 26. In your anger, don't sin. In your anger, don't say something you're going to regret. In your anger, don't do something you're going to regret. Just to prove a point. Just to make them feel it. In your anger, do not sin. And then it goes on to say, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Make it right. I can't tell you how many times, even though I had to get up at five and be on the job site, you know, when the sun comes up. I can't tell you how many times we stayed up three, four o'clock in the morning. Just talking about it. Why? Because my marriage is worth it. Am I going to be tired tomorrow? Yeah, probably. But interestingly enough, every single time that we stayed up late because we were working on something that God considers holy, our marriage, I might have to drink a cup of coffee on the way there or an energy drink or whatever. But the sustaining power of God propelled me through that day. Every single time. Every single time. And it was worth it. It was worth it. We would, we would pray for each other. And it forces us to reconcile with each other. Look what happens next. When she leaves room for God to move, the very next verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Where has your beloved gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your beloved turn that we may look for him with you? Look what she says. Oh, sorry, I forgot to tell you guys. Uh, but my beloved has gone down to his garden. And again, this is metaphoric here, but basically he came home. Uh, to the beds of spices, to browse in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And again, this is imagery. It's talking about their intimacy. Homeboy came home. They had this moment. They reunited. And this is the hope of every single marriage in the room. Whether you're 14 and want to get married someday or you're 53 and you're ready to give up on your third marriage. I want, to, I want you to understand that when two become one, according to God, separation is not an option. Like, figure it out. It's a covenant, which is an unbreakable pact between you and your spouse and our Heavenly Father. So from the depths of my soul, put myrrh 
on the lock and let God figure it out with you. Amen, everyone? Can I, I just want to pray for couples today. I really do. I'm not going to have you stand up or come forward. I believe the Holy Spirit knows where you are, knows your story, knows what needs to happen. And I think that there are people in the room that if you would be honest, you would tell me that you've shut out your spouse. You haven't left myrrh on the doorknob. And there probably needs to be some adjustments and some change and some forgiveness. And that's what we think can happen right here in this moment. So just pray with me. Father, we love you. Thank you for such a vivid picture of how to navigate conflict in our relationships. And Father, we know that even though this applies to those who are married, it also applies to those who are single and their relationships with their kids or with their parents, God. And so, Father, whether we're in a love relationship with a spouse or we're single and we're not even looking, God, show us how this applies to us. If there have been people that, Lord, we have shut out of our life, Father, God, I pray that, first of all, we unlock the door and we go looking for them. Father, we leave or we leave love on the doorknob of our relationships. And Father, we give you permission to look down through the expanse of eternity and find a time, find a moment, God, where we feel safe enough and secure enough just to have a real life conversation about what's going on. And that you would lead us and you would direct us in that conversation, Father God. Because who you have joined together, let no one separate. God, we speak life into marriages. We speak hope into marriages. God, and we trust you that what you've started here, God, you will be faithful to complete it to the end. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a YPC podcast. Visit our website at ypcprior.com to hear more.